Hello everyone, my name is Michelle and welcome to a new episode of Edutech XP. Today, Laura will be talking to Essie Wapala, head of the International Master's Degree in Learning, Education and Technology from the University of Ogu. She will tell us about what design-driven education, collaborative learning and making culture are and how it is possible to integrate technology into these approaches to enhance learning in multiple contexts. Welcome, Essie, to Edutech XP. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Nice to be here. You have a really interesting research and you include a lot of topics. So one of the big topics I have found is collaborative learning. We've already talked about this in other episodes. However, I'd like you to do a short overview of what collaborative learning is and what are the goals. Collaborative learning can be understood in many different ways. So thank you for this question. It's nice to give the clarification. How do I see it? My understanding of collaborative learning is that it's heavily based on the theory of uh, social constructivism. And I will always want to highlight that collaborative learning is not a theory. It's based on some theoretical ideas of uh, social views of learning, but it's more like a method which uh, teachers can use. And the idea of collaborative learning for me is that it's about joint knowledge co-construction between different aged learners. So the main idea of collaborative learning is that, that it's highly student-centered and really critical in collaborative learning is that group of learners can themselves define their own learning goals and objectives. Because otherwise, if the objective is given by, for example, by a teacher, the learners doesn't commit and engage in attaining their goals if they can't themselves to define what they want to learn. And also the main idea of collaborative learning is that that group is working collaboratively throughout the learning process. For example, in comparison to cooperative learning, the main difference is that in cooperative learning, the tasks are divided in the beginning of the assignment. And basically, each student or learner is doing their part individually and independently. And in the end of the learning assignment, they collect those pieces together as a joint product. But in collaborative learning, the group members are negotiating and argumenting and uh, sharing their expertise throughout in all phases of the learning process, not only in the beginning or in the end. And this brings to my mind uh, things like design-driven education, which is something that you have worked too. So tell us a little bit about that too, please. That design-driven education is something that you can implement in collaborative mode or in individual mode. But the basic idea of design-driven education is that it's really multidisciplinary approach for learning. You can learn many different kinds of skills and contents when engaging into the design process. And the basic idea of the design process is that it starts with an open task and then the learners start to themselves design solutions for the task. And it's not something that teacher can predict that what kind of outcomes or how the teacher wants the learners to behave and, and study in the process. But it's uh, up to the students that they can design and decide that how They want to solve the problem given to them. And then they follow this normal process of brainstorming solutions, uh, prototyping, constructing the solution, reflecting the solution, and, and so on. Like But, how is sudden center, right? Everything. Yes, I think that, that all of these approaches, like collaborative learning, design-driven education, 
later on when we talk about maker education, which is also one of my current <laughs> research topics and one approach that I'm implementing also in practice. I think that the common feature is that they are highly student-centered. They activate the students and the main role of the teacher is more like to orchestrate the whole mm-hmm. learning situation. So give resources and most importantly, to design the learning process beforehand uh, really well, including what kind of instructions to give to the students, what technologies and platform to provide to them, what kind of support and in which phases, how to formulate the groups and, and so on. So the most active role of the teacher is actually before the learning uh, situation takes place. Exactly. Well, thank you. Another that you mentioned it actually... Let's talk a little bit about what maker culture is. Yes, yeah, so so most recent context for me to, to study collaborative learning is this maker education. It's basically about learning via making, as it was <laughs> quite simple idea. So the basic idea is that, that we start the making process with providing an open problem description to the students who are working in small groups. And it's kind of a demanding process since the problem is open and there is no one single expected uh, solution for that. And therefore, we put people to work together because it's a complex problem. And to, to, in order to solve it, many different kinds of expertises are needed. And therefore, it's important that they work together. And in maker education, making can be like digital making, that the students using different kind of technologies, for example, these uh, programming tools like Microbits or Arduino boards, or digital fabrication equipments like laser cutters, 3D printers, uh, vinyl cutters, and so on to construct a tangible solution for the open problem. But it can also be just this traditional making that you create the solution for the problem by using cardboard, scissors, glue. It doesn't have to be necessarily the kind of the, about digital fabrication, but most often Nowadays, it's a combination of both of these, traditional making and digital fabrication. And the idea of maker education is closely linked to this design-driven education. So basically, you follow the same procedure that you start the work with an open problem description. Then the students start to thinking that how do we understand the problem? And then they start to brainstorm possible solutions ultimately choosing one optimal solution, prototyping the solution, presenting it and developing it further. That sounds really interesting to do in class. I I bet children are actually happy to work in real projects, right? Yeah, I think that the interesting thing is that this maker approach, I have been applying it both in the primary school context and in higher education context. And I think it's that both students uh, groups, it's really like engaging and interesting way of working. And I have got really good results and also really good student feedback when implementing this approach in, in learning. Great. Well, thank you for this clarifications maybe about these concepts and about technology. First, what motivates you to to work with technology and how these topics relate? You already mentioned a little bit, but explain that a little bit further. I always characterize myself that I'm a learning researcher. So I'm interested in how people learn and how teacher can facilitate learning. In my PhD and in my postdoctoral research, 
I have been analyzing learning processes both in technology-enhanced and face-to-face settings. And I'm really fascinated by how powerful a tool technology can be when supporting collaborative learning. But it's really critical that we as a teachers understand that the pros and cons in applying different technologies. So it's not self-evident that you bring some technological tools to support group members' collaboration, but you have to really carefully understand that how it's pedagogically meaningful to use these technologies. And my ultimate aim for doing this type of research is that I have really like I'm a practice oriented researcher. I want to provide teachers an understanding that what is actually the role of technology in learning. And always I want to highlight that we have new technologies, constantly changing learning environments and new technologies, new applications, artificial intelligence, everything but still the learning processes remains the same. It's still like a job that you have to do. It's really highly individual. There are no machines who could learn for you, but it's always something that happens inside your head and in your mind. And that hasn't changed for hundreds of years. And that mm-hmm. won't change. What changes is a technology. And we have to understand that what is the role of the technology to support these processes, it actually happens inside your head and inside your mind. The relation that everything has, you know, at some point, but still it's, I think it's not just good to rely on, oh, I got new technological tools. So that's it. It's deeper than that, right? Yes. And I can say that I locate myself as a kind of a critical technology user. Also, Mm -hmm. many teachers and researchers in the field of technology-enhanced learning, they are really like technology fanatics and they love all the new stuff. I basically love also, but I'm still like a critical lenses when I think that I test and try new technologies, but just few of them I take into use in my own teaching. So I could say that I'm kind of quite critical towards new technologies when when it comes to learning and teaching purposes. I think that's a really good approach. I mean, it's not just about the new tools, but like how you use them, right? And that brings to my mind, actually, well, I think you use information and communication technologies. How do you relate them both, uh, you know, maker culture and design-driven education? Basically, if we think about ICT, information and communication technologies, we exclude then those digital fabrication technologies since they are for fabrication, not for information and communication. Um, It depends, of course, that how much you rely on virtual collaboration and how much the face-to-face collaboration. But every time we start to work with make a project or design a project, the very first phases uh, in the group formulation is that the groups themselves decide that what information and communication technologies they want to use. Because I don't think that it enhances the group work in the best way if I, as a teacher, tell them that you have to use teams for sharing the documents, you have to use WhatsApp for communication, you need to use Mendeley for collecting materials and so on. But I think that we have to be really flexible when it comes to ICT and the way how people are communicating and taking care of how they process the knowledge. Nowadays, we should provide a learning environment which combines these ICT tools 
but also not to forget this important face-to-face communication. But but both aspects definitely are needed to make the group work flexible and purposeful for that group. Great, thank you very much. And I think we've already talked about all the concepts and definitions. Now I'd like you to, to tell us if you have some insights on how these practices could actually be implemented in schools. Or, well, not only schools, maybe higher education as well, or different contexts. Last year, I have a great opportunity to work with the fourth graders who were teaching in technology-oriented class. I uh, was their teacher for one academic year, and throughout the year, we did several maker projects. Maybe the latest one was the most successful and enjoyable, both for the students and teachers. And basically, I offered them an open problem. It was basically a story of a five-year-old boy who was afraid of dark and couldn't fall asleep because he was afraid that there was some some a ghost under the bed or behind the door. And the students uh, needed to create a solution for the problem of this boy. I didn't say that what kind of solution it could be. So they started to first understand the problem. Of course, I was all the time as a teacher supporting them and giving them uh, sentence openness and prompting questions. But the basic idea, according to this design process, was that they started to think that, okay, what is the actual problem here? Why that this boy is afraid? What is he afraid of? What happens if the fears comes true? And they started to define the problem in their own words. Then they started to brainstorm the solution that how we could actually help this boy to overcome these fears. And they brainstorm. Uh, I use these um, thinking assistants as a brainstorming method. I'm not sure if you know this t- this thinking assistant. It, it's basically a method where you show them pictures of different characters like Garfield, young child, Finnish president, and so on. And they thought that, okay, how would this person solve this problem? Because it's hard to start brainstorming just like, okay, now start brainstorming. So uh, these thinking assistants are used that they can give different perspectives to the problem. Garfield would propose different kind of solution than president of Finland. After that, they had many alternative solutions for this young boy's problem. And then they started to narrow down. They were picking like the best solutions and they negotiated and discussed. And finally, they ended up with one solution. And that they started to prototype. Then they asked, asked peer feedback. And then they actually made the final solution, which they presented in, in Shark's Tank. So they we had a jury where was um, entrepreneurs, researchers from university, and then a couple of teachers from the school, and they were like giving the feedback and so on and kind of buying the solution. And how technology was related was that the one requirement, this was a multidisciplinary uh, project which uh, connected uh, arts, mathematics, ICT, Finnish language, and sports. Also, so they used for their solutions, they uh, used microbits, they used 3D printing, and then they used these e-textiles. And in the same time, they needed to reflect in the learning diary that how they group worked. In the end, it was nice to see how different those solutions, for example, invented watch, which uh, actually showed the direction where the ghosts are. And after recognizing a ghost, it turned on the lights, which basically... Oh, um, of course. 
that was one. And then there was one night light, which was a soft teddy bear. But inside the soft teddy bear, there was a really nice calm light, which made the little boy to feel safe and not scared of the ghosts or anything. And they basically... They had many different types of solutions since the problem was so open. And the results were excellent. I was collecting data about how they collaborative learning skills and attitudes developed. This uh, project lasted for two and a half months and they were really intensively working on it. And the results were that in general, the pupils' collaborative learning skills and attitudes became uh, more positive and their skills increased. They learned a lot about uh, how to code, how to and also how to work uh, as a group, how to communicate, how to interact. I think it's a really good result that they learned also these important skills which they need in their uh, education but later on or also in the working life that they are good collaborators and team workers. Yeah, I think that's a really important part of this kind of approaches. And it's like, it's great for the regular um, things that you learn at school, but also you need certain skills. And nowadays, I think more important, the 21st century skills. And that's it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And in Finnish curricula for primary education, these transversal skills are highlighted a lot. We have a a big uh, curricular reform 2016 And in in that curricular reform, the role of these 21st century skills was emphasized and they are highly visible in our national curricula at the moment. Also, actually, in higher education, but especially in the biggest change was made to the curriculum of the primary school. Mm -hmm, Great. And well, you were saying students really appreciated um, the project itself. Could you tell us a little bit more about the students' perspectives on maker culture, for example? The general feedback and when I analyzed the learning diaries was that at first, when the students were given an open problem, they had mixed feelings. Of course, because it's a complex problem, which is there and there is no, I couldn't as a teacher tell them how they should work and what they need to do. So in the beginning, they were a bit confused and a bit anxious towards the task. But when they then the process went on and they were engaging and they kind of were able to produce that kind of product that they really wanted, that they were interested in. Uh, after that, the attitudes and the engagement uh, became stronger. And uh, of course, there were challenges. Uh, I think collaborative learning is never easy. And you have to solve many kind of uh, issues and problems during the process. Most often those um, problems were related to technology. They they were fourth graders and of course the technological skills were not yet developed. In some cases they had really fancy ideas that what they want to do, but then they realized that, okay, we doesn't have skills enough to do it. And they had to downgrade it a bit. But in the end, everybody, when they presented their products, they were so proud of themselves and, and they really like said that this, this, this is something we definitely want to do also next year and so on. The other challenge that they confronted, especially in the beginning, were these um, related to the social interaction and the task division that at some point they felt that one of the group members wasn't fully engaged or he or she did less than the others. 
But in those situations, it was important that I as a teacher intervened and helped them to discuss about work division and also the responsibilities that all of their contribution is valuable and needed. And, and after these negotiations, everything went smoothly, at least for a while. I think both the teacher and the students and the parents were really satisfied with the project. Okay, so everyone's happy, apparently. And uh, kids are learning. That, that seems like a really good, good approach. And we were talking about, well, students' perspectives. And we were all saying that teachers are also happy and parents are also happy, right? In this case, of course, it's a different situation at the university. Uh, we don't contact the parents, but but uh, in primary school, I I always wanted to to also engage the parents in the school activities, and and they were also presenting those solutions for their parents. And and of course, like I shared, also the results of the learning diaries and the, the questionnaires with the parents, and they thought that this is something that that they would like school to be. Well, that's really nice. And well, the teachers' opinions on these approaches, because well, I think in Finland they're already used to maybe these uh, methodologies. But I think that the role of the teacher, traditional teaching, and then this it changes a lot. So maybe what are the opinions? Uh, it's not that actually not yet general in Finland that just kind of a normal teacher would engage into this this kind of activities. Maybe. Uh, after the COVID, our teachers' pedagogical skills have improved, but still um, teachers, both actually in primary education and in higher education, lack the courage of using this kind of approach since they are feeling that they don't master the technologies uh, well enough. And my perspective always have been, I'm not expert in using technologies. I'm not. But I always trust that uh, if I can't, for example, in in the primary school, there were a couple of uh, pupils who were much better coders, for example, than I am. I know the basics of coding microbits, but it was their hobby. They were super, super expert in that. And I let them help the others. When I didn't know how to how to make a specific code, I asked those boys, at least, can you help those? But I, I can't. I don't know how to do it. And the same is uh, at the university, that I can provide persons who can help them. I can provide materials, but I trust that they will find the solution. But the main thing that hinders the teachers to, to fully use technology in their teaching is that they are a bit scared of the technology, that they think that they have to be engineers or they have to be experts. But I always, also when I educate our staff members, I highlight that that you are the expert in learning. You know how to structure the and script the learning part and how to do it, how to integrate technology in a pedagogically meaningful way but you don't have to be and you can't be both and you don't have to be like a, a engineer or a genius with, with technology there are always somebody who knows and and uh, it's also I think a good example especially in our teacher training that you give them an example that the teacher does not have to be necessarily an expert because you with your group of learners you are learning community And the teacher is the facilitator and enabler, but not an expert who knows everything and masters everything. I think it's a really good example. And in school context, it 
also empowers the pupils when when they see that the teacher trusts you to actually give guidance to the others when it comes to technology. Of course, you have to have the skills and the expertise how to organize the learning, but that's part of the the script or how you orchestrate that, how you can use the expertise what's in the group. Yeah, that that approach is really useful and actually kind of reassuring for teachers because I think at least in my country it's the same, right? Like, okay, I would love to use those tools, but I have no clue how to do them. I was never training this, uh, I don't know, Teams or that or whatever kind of technology. And then since I don't know, then I won't use them. But maybe students already know how to use them. Yes, and and also one maybe a misconception is that these Digital tools are really complicated and hard to use, but that has changed a lot. If we are thinking about, for example, digital fabrication, there is this FabLab concept. And in FabLab, those machines and technologies are professional. They are hard to use. But there are many solutions um, designed for school and learning purposes which are really handy and easy to use. For example, in our makerspace and in our faculty, we have really easy to use laser cutters and 3D printers and vinyl cutters and uh, different tools for coding. Super, super easy to use. And if you could provide teachers an opportunity to play a bit with these technologies and machines. It would give them a picture and then a vision that, okay, this is not that hard. And they have maybe a bit wrong idea how technology nowadays works, especially that technology which is uh, taking into schools and into schools, maker spaces and fab labs. Now, just to clarify for the audience, what is fab lab? FabLab is basically an international concept. I'm sure that also in Germany you have FabLabs. They are all around the world. And originally it was developed in MIT, but now it has expanded throughout the world. So it's the basic idea is that the FabLab is a space and it looks similar in every place. They have certain equipments for digital fabrication, but also for traditional fabrication. They have highly professional laser cutters, uh, 3D printers, Arduino boards, but they have also facilities for traditional fabrication. They have sewing machines, they have hammers and saws and things like that. Mm -hmm. So basically, you go to the fab lab, it's only a space. You go there with an idea, what you want to fabricate, what you want to do. And they have the facilities, they have assistants who helps you to use the machines, but you have to have a willingness to learn and you have to have the idea what you want to do. Then you can use that space. In our case, it's located at the university, but it's open for everybody. Also to the people outside of academia and elsewhere, fab labs are located for example, in the city center, that everybody, anybody could go there to fabricate something. Oh, I did not know that. I thought it was only for study. No, those, but this FabLab concept, it, it supports this idea of open science and citizen science, that everybody can go there and learn how to engage into the digital fabrication processes. And they have staff who is helping you with the technology. And the second idea of FabLab is that if you produce some tangible object in Oulu FabLab, there is an archive in which basically all the ideas and all the things you do in FabLab should be open. Mm -hmm. So then somebody could replicate your idea and your do the exactly same product in Singapore, for example. 
that the protocols for producing and for production are the same everywhere. So it also kind of strengthens the idea of openness and, and availability. If you have a fab lab nearby, I highly recommend you all and of course all the listeners to get involved and to be kind of just to go there and experience and do a, maybe just a simple things like earrings or whatever. <laughs> But okay. it's worth going if you have a possibility. Oh no, I look for the possibility because I, I'm really intrigued but like I only read about that and, and I thought it was cool, but I didn't know all the extra information. So really interesting. Thank you. And now I think we, we thought a lot about uh, your research and this fab lab and everything. What comes next in terms of, of your research, your topics? Multiple things always in which I'm interested in. But since I'm a full-time teacher, I don't have so many time to do the research. <laughs> so I have to focus on one thing at a time. And now, basically, I still am interested in these possibilities of making in education. But uh, currently, I'm moving from the primary school context to the teacher education context. I have been collecting data from teacher education students that how do they engage in maker activities and what do they learn when why are making. Also, um, one current research topic actually in which the University of Saarland and Professor Reinberger is involved is the multicultural collaboration. And I would like to think in future and, and make a kind of a pilot that people from different cultures who don't know each others beforehand, that how do they and can make activities somehow help them to engage into the collaboration and overcome these uh, maybe these challenges which are connected to this intercultural issue that people from different cultures, from different backgrounds are making something together that could that making process make the intercultural collaboration maybe more fluent, easier, more efficient, enjoyable. So those may be other future directions. Oh, I'm not even maybe that those are something <laughs> that we currently are already doing and analyzing actually the data. Wow, really interesting. The, the intercultural learning for me in particular, I find it really interesting because, well, in the master we're, we're studying right now, there's people from all around the world And I think that sometimes makes it difficult for some, some people to, even the language, which is the, the basic thing, but it makes difficult the collaboration at some point, I guess, in the beginning especially. Yeah, that is the experience that we also have confronted. And one way might be to make that, especially that starting point, that grouping phase easier if they could engage in, in these making activities and, and it could provide natural kind of forum to to get to know each others and start to learn each others communication styles and and that kind of thing so I think it's worth of worth of uh, studying further yeah well thank you very much for your insights your uh, information and all the examples that you've mentioned here today um I don't know if you have something else to to tell us before we leave No, I, I think that was a really, really nice experience to, to participate. And thank you once again for inviting me for this podcast. I think it was amazing to discover innovative ways to implement making culture, design-driven education and collaborative learning involving technology in classroom settings. 
Remember that you can follow the conversation about this and other topics on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Thanks again, Essie and Laura. And thanks to you, dear audience, for joining us. Until next time in Idiotech XP. Thank you.